this house. It's good to uh, welcome little Wyatt as his first uh, uh, visit here in the Lord's house uh, for many. So uh, it's good to have Wyatt with us, and uh, I hope I just keep him asleep. You awake and him asleep, that'd be a good deal, wouldn't it? So, uh, Well, last Sunday I, I preached from Romans chapter 1, verse 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And I pray that you're not ashamed of the gospel, uh, that you're willing to stand up for the gospel of truth and stand up for what is right. Uh, along those same lines, Jesus said, don't be ashamed of me. In fact, Jesus kind of put it like this. He said, if you're ashamed of me in this life and in this generation, that is, if you are ashamed of Jesus, then one day when you stand before him, he will be ashamed of you. So I don't want to be ashamed of Jesus, all right? And I don't think you do as well. We need to be unashamed to be called a Christian. The year was 1974. Uh, the month was November. Uh, I had lived my whole life in Midland, Texas. I had been born there and raised there. My sister had. Both my parents had been born and raised in Midland. And all of a sudden, my dad got transferred to Abilene, Texas. And so we moved in November of 1974. It's tough when you're uh, 13 years old and in the seventh grade and you change schools. I mean, that's just a tough thing. It's doubly tough when it's in the middle of the school year and you have to go from one school to a new school. Uh, that that uh, Monday morning, my mom took me to school, took me to the office. Uh, somebody took me down to my classroom. I went in the classroom, met the teacher, and she put me in a desk kind of in the middle of the class on this side over here. And it was like two or three minutes before class started. And everybody was talking, and everybody's kind of turning and looking at the new kid, you know, trying to figure out the new kid that was there. And this girl turned around. She was sitting right in front of me, and big, beautiful brown eyes, beautiful hair. She was a really attractive young girl that I remember, you know. I really wasn't into that yet, but I remember she was a good-looking girl. And, and she had a, a kind of a, a Texas draw to her voice, and she was very loud. Boy, I remember that. She was really... This was 39 years ago, but I can remember. She was loud. And she said, so, as she turned, so, look right at me. Are you a doper or a roper? That was her, only two choices. And I mean, it, 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 it caught me off guard and it freaked me out. I had no idea what she was talking about, you know. Doper, roper, I don't And then all of a sudden, it just kind of dawned on me. Apparently, at this junior high school, there were two classifications of students. You were either a, a doper, you smoked dope and did drugs, or you were a roper, you were a cowboy that dipped snuff and smoked cigarettes. One of the two, all right? That was it, doper, roper, no option number three. And I, you know, I mean, I was, everybody was looking at me. They're wanting to know what side of the fence I'm on. And so my little squeaky voice spoke up, all right? I said, I'm neither. Well, she just busted a gun. Ah, and she turned to the whole class. He's a nerd. <laughs> Brent, I'd never been called a nerd before. I mean, I, I thought I was Ken. I thought I was a pretty cool kid, but now I was called a nerd. You know, it took me back. All right, it took me back, and really, it was a gut check for a thirteen-year-old kid. Well, who are you? What are you? And I'm, I'm honest, since then, numerous times I've thought back on that story and I've had to ask myself the question, Will, who are you? What are you? Well, hopefully, you know 
I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And more than anything else, I want to be unashamed as I follow Jesus. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, nor am I ashamed of the name. Call me a Christian, a follower of Christ, a believer. You know what? As I read the Word of God and I understand what it means to be a Christ follower, I know that it's not for wimps, all right? You really got to step out there if you follow Jesus. It can't be a half-hearted thing. It's either all or nothing. In fact, Jesus said there's no sitting on the fence. You have to be hot or cold, in or out. If you're going to follow me, it must be with, and here's my word for today, it must be with passion. Are we passionate followers of the Lord Jesus Christ? You know, passion makes the ordinary extraordinary. Passion is what mobilizes armies to sacrifice themselves in battle. Passion is what enables and drives scientists to find new cures to dreaded disease. Passion is what equips athletes to break records and go for the gold. Passion is what sustains you in reaching your goals as you go through life. Nothing great is done without passion. Passion turns the impossible to possible. It energizes life. It's what makes you alive. Without passion, your life is dull and drab and boring. And it's interesting to me to know what people get passionate about. Huh? Isn't it? In fact, it's kind of crazy. Arthur Blessed of North Fort Myers, Florida is passionate about walking. In fact, he has walked over 40,235 miles in 321 different countries. But every time Arthur goes out for a walk, he's carrying a 12-foot wooden cross behind him. I've seen him on the interstate. Have you? Loves to walk. Jackie Bibby of Fort Worth, Texas is passionate about, get this, rattlesnakes. He was the original Texas snake man. They've come out with this new uh, show. Man, they make shows about anything today. You know that? It's called Rattlesnake Republic. Anybody seen it? Okay, it's out there. I've only watched a little bit of it because they uh, use bad language and I don't like to listen to bad language so I don't watch the show. But he's one of the stars of the show. I've seen him, you know, I I knew him before he was a a big hit because I used to live in Fort Worth. He's the guy that holds the Guinness Book of World Record of sitting in a bathtub with 195 poisonous snakes. He's the guy that holds the record of holding 13 snakes out of his mouth. He's the crazy guy who holds the record of being in a sleeping bag with 109 live rattlesnakes and going head first into a sleeping bag with 24 rattlesnakes. He's passionate about rattlesnakes. And crazy too, alright? Fred Magel of Chicago, Illinois is passionate about eating out. Over a period of 50 years, He has eaten out over 50,000 times in 60 different countries. Man after my own heart, man. Gotta love him. Uh, Jason Joyner of London, England is passionate about Star Wars. Boy, I wish wish Dave was here today. He's preaching down in Ozark, but this is Dave's kind of guy. This fellow has a collection of over 20,000 Star Wars toys, including one of the original C-3PO robots an original R2-D2, 
and an original Darth Vader costume. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay, there's some of you guys. All right, there you go. Tony Matea of Brighton, England, is passionate about, get this, Barbie dolls. As the world's largest collection, 1,125 Barbie dolls in his apartment. Once a month, he changes all their clothes and brushes their hair. I don't know. I just know he loves Barbie dolls. You might say, well, why did you tell us that one? Well, to tell you the next one. Uh, Cindy Jackson has a passion to look like Barbie doll. In fact, she has had 52 surgical procedures in a desire to look just like Barbie. She was born in a pig, on a pig farm in Ohio. She's now 57 years old, and she has had five full facelifts, two nose operations two eye lifts, jawline surgery, liposuction, and a whole long list of other surgeries, spending a small fortune in her passion to look just like Barbie doll. And she does. (laughs) Money can buy some things. You know what? God wants passion out of your life. Can I say that again? God wants passion out of your life. He wants you to sense the passion that he put within you for himself. In fact, one day a man came up to Jesus and said, Jesus, what is the most important commandment out of the whole Bible? What's the one thing I need to get down? If I can just understand one thing about the Bible, what is it? Well, Jesus said, okay, I'll summarize the whole Bible for you. Here's the cliff notes on the Bible. I'm going to give it to you in two sentences. And if you get these two things down, you're well on your way. In Mark chapter 12, he tells us what those two things are. Hear the passion as Jesus shared what is the most important thing in the Word of God. Mark chapter 12, verse 30. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like unto it. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Can you hear the passion? I mean, I can almost sense and feel the passion in this verse. Jesus said, really, when it comes down to it, there are only two things that matter in life. Number one, you love God. And number two, you love people. (coughs) That's really what matters most. Love God, love people. But he said, you don't love people and love God in a wimpy, half-hearted kind of way. He said, you do it passionately. What was his words? You do it with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Really, God is saying, you've got to give it all you've got. All you've got. It's not for wimps. Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, you've got to do it with passion. Because it deserves... Jesus said, following me deserves your very best. It deserves all you've got. In fact, Jesus is saying to be my disciple, you must have passion. You cannot be ashamed of me, he said. 
You've got to be bold. You've got to be passionate if you're going to follow me. You know, here in America, we are often passionate about everything except for God. We are passionate about sports. We're passionate about movies. We're passionate about fashion, the kind of clothes we wear. We're passionate about certain kind of cars or a brand of motorcycle. We're passionate about restaurants. Some of us more than others. Really, the amazing thing in our culture is this. It is okay. In fact, it is even appropriate for you to be passionate about anything as long as it's not God. Here's the truth. I can go to any sporting event and yell and scream my head off. I can jump up and down, run around, act crazy. If my team loses, I can cry out loud. If they win, I can dance around and people will say, Now there's a fan! But if I come to church and did any of that stuff, they would say, There's a fanatic! It's like it's appropriate to get excited and be enthusiastic and to have a passion for anything in life as long as it's not God. Yet Jesus said, listen, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to have some passion about yourself. What's it going to take? Loving me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So here's what we're going to do this morning. Just for a couple of minutes, we're going to camp out right here in Mark chapter 12, verse 30. And look exactly at what Jesus said. You are to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and see exactly what that means. First of all, he says you are to love God with the reality of love. Love me with all your heart, with all of your heart. To be real about it, from the heart. To love from the heart. Now, guys, look at me. Just guys, women, keep your head down. Guys, how many of you guys have ever said to a girl, I love you with all my heart? Huh? Oh, I love you with all my heart. Huh? I, I hope if you did, she's still sitting beside you, all right? Don't admit it if you've said it to anybody else, all right? But here's the deal. Sometimes we can say that and really not mean it from our heart. Sometimes we say words and they don't come from the heart. In fact, Jesus told the religious people of his day, you honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. Man, how characteristic of the modern church today. Huh? We say we love him, but is it real? Do we love him from the heart? Vance Havner once said, on any Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, more lives are sung or spoken by evangelical Christianity than any other day of the week. He said, we stand up and sing, Take my life and let me be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow with ceaseless praise. Vance Havner said, it's a lie. It's a lie. We're saying that with our lips, but we don't mean it from our heart. Because if we really love God that way, our churches would be alive and we would be experiencing revival. God says, I want your heart. I, I don't want just your words. I want your heart. I want you to mean it from your heart when you say to me, Lord Jesus, I love you. Number two, we are to love God with an intensity of love. 
Not only with all of our heart, but with all of our soul. Our soul. <laughs> intensity, the soul. You know, we show intensity at games, sports games. Uh, we're into sports in my family, go to games all the time. And I tell you what, some, some of you parents get crazy when your kids are playing sports, don't you? Huh? You get intense. But where do we find people in love with Jesus with such intensity that it shows up in their actions? Let me just put it like this, church. Do, do you understand that it is possible for us to have a strong church that stands against all forms of liberalism and yet we are not in love with Jesus? In fact, you can have a life like that. That from the outside, you, you look strong and steadfast and... <laughs> You look orthodox, and you look like you got it all together. But inside, you really don't. That was the case of the church of Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2. Outside, they looked great. They had all the programs. Everything was in place. They were doing all the right things. Yet Jesus said to them, Nevertheless, I have one thing against you. You have left your first love. There was not the intensity of love that there should have been. So, do you love Jesus this morning with such an intensity that you're willing to say, Lord, whatever you want from my life, it's yours. So, love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and number three, with all your mind. That is, love God with the sagacity of love. The word sagacity means penetrating knowledge or a sense of judgment. And that's why the Bible is so balanced. It doesn't just ask us to go on simple emotions. It tells us to use our mind to work with the Word of God so that we might know theology, so that we can understand doctrine, so that we can read it and mentally process it and realize this is what the Word of God says. The Bible says I am to love God and obey God. So I understand that mentally. I perceive that in my brain. Therefore, I obey it through my flesh because I know it in my head. Folks, listen to me. Your mind matters. Your brain matters. God gave you your brain to use your brain. So know the Word, understand the Word, and then obey the Word. Does He have your mind? I'm here to tell you, emotions, can, emotions are fickle, aren't they? And I know a lot of people whose Christianity is just as fickle. They're just floating on emotions. Ooh. Oh, that music is good. Praise the Lord, what a wonderful... Then the next Sunday, the music's not quite as good. Oh, that was a horrible service. Things were horrible, horrible. You know, everything is emotions. Even, even in our relationships, we... Oh, I love you, I feel so close to you. And then, you know... Dump the moron. Yeah. Go on to somebody else. It's just emotion. Well, I love that church. Greatest church ever. And then, you know, six months later, where are they? They, they found another church. It's just as great. You know? It's just emotions. We're going on emotions. And emotions are part of it. They're, they are an integral part of your Christian life. But it's more than that. It's your mind as well. You've got to know what is right and do what is right. Because sometimes your feelings are fickle. You said I do, and you said I love you. But you know what? Sometimes after 10 years, or 15 years, 20 years, the feelings are gone. 
They need to be rekindled. But you know what? You stay true to your marriage commitment because it is a decision that you've made. You notice I didn't get up to 30. Yeah. After 30, everything is awesome, man. It's perfect after 30. But do you get what I'm saying? Your mind. Does God have your mind? He needs your heart. He needs your soul. He wants that. But He also wants your mind. Love God with your mind. Then number four, you love God with an activity of love. With all your strength. With all your strength. What does that mean, preacher? Well, it means that, you know what? He's got our hearts and our minds and our souls. Now we're going to roll up our sleeves and we're going to go to work. Because we love Him. Huh? Our entire body and being are ready for action. What this means is, I have laid every faculty of my body on the altar of sacrifice, and I am willing to do anything my Savior asks me to do. Because I'm unashamed of Him. He has control of my life. And I'm loving God with every fiber of my being. It's His. It's His. I know I've told you this story. In fact... Today I'm telling you several stories that I've told you before, but hang with me, all right? This is one of my favorite stories about the lordship of Jesus Christ. It's about a young man who uh, was a great athlete. Uh, he's a high school kid, just a good-looking kid. He could play any sport, very, very good athlete. Um, he was a Christian, but he, he really hadn't, he hadn't surrendered everything to Jesus, you know? He hadn't given the Lord everything. Because here is his problem. Somehow he perceived or thought in his mind, if he surrendered it all to the Lord, the Lord would take that passion for sports away, and he could no longer play sports. And he loves sports. So he was at youth camp, summer camp. The evangelist was preaching on the Lordship of Jesus Christ, that you must surrender everything to God. Give him everything and hold nothing back to yourself. Well, the young man was very convicted, and he came to the altar and he prayed. The evangelist went down and actually prayed with him, and and he really struggled there at the altar. He came really close, but he did not surrender everything to Christ. The next morning, the, the evangelist went out and was having his coffee. It was a beautiful setting where this youth camp was, unlike or just like Camp Beaver Fort, where our kids are going. It was a beautiful lake out there and a mountain range behind the lake. And he was sitting there having his coffee. And he happened to look up and he noticed across the lake on this mountain range, it was a there was movement, uh, something leaping from boulder to boulder. He, he wrote later and said it looked like a gazelle jumping down from boulder to boulder. And as he looked, he, he saw that it was a person. And so he got up and started walking around the lake to meet this person, whoever it was. And as the person got closer, he realized that this is this kid, this young man, this great athlete that he had prayed at the altar with the night before. And here's what the evangelist said. When I finally met up with him, his hair was matted. His body was drenched with dew because he had been on that mountain the whole night before. But his eyes were aglow. And he grasped me and said, I've done it. I've done it. I've given him everything. And I've held nothing back for myself. What does God want? That. Everything. That's what it means to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You, you've done it. You've given Him everything. 
It's his. You are his. And you're not ashamed to be a Christian. You're not ashamed to stand for Christ, to walk with Christ, to be a Christ follower. That's it. Love God. Love people. You want to know what the Bible's about? That's it. Love God, love people. With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. That's my sermon. But I'm not done. That's it, but how do we do that? How do we keep the passion? How do you keep the passion burning day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year? Because here's, here's where we live. Listen to me, guys. Here's where we live. The world is constantly pulling at us. It's dragging us down. It's grinding on us. The influence through media, through television, through the news, through the world system is pulling us away from Christ. It's telling us that we, know, we don't need to be proud of Christ. We need to be ashamed of Christ. Instead of boldly speaking for Him like our teens are about to do, the world tells us, you better shut your mouth. It's not politically correct to speak up for Jesus Christ. And so we become ashamed. We become wimpy Christians. Don't we? So how do we remain bold? How do we remain passionate? Well, I just want to give you four really quick ways to do this. Here's how you keep the passion. Just four practical things. Number one, you guard your heart 24-7. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you are guarding your heart. Because why? The devil is throwing fiery darts at it. He's trying to take your passion away. The Bible says, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. In other words, we are to so walk with Jesus Christ and so love Jesus that we love the things that God loves and we hate the things that God hates. He has our heart. We're passionate. We're on His team. We're on His side. And if He loves something, we love it. If He hates something, we hate it. If he's involved in something, we're involved in it. If he avoids something, we avoid it. Now, folks, I could get off on a long train of things here. Because here's, here's the problem with a lot of us. We are dabbling in the things of the world. We're playing with the things of the world. And instead of hating sin, we're harboring sin. Instead of avoiding sin and shunning sin, we're welcoming sin into our life. God hates sin. And if we're going to be a passionate follower of Him, we're going to have to hate sin as well. So guard your heart. Number two, you get time with God every day. I mean, you make it a part of your life. That, that is so elementary, but it's so true. You know? You become passionate about your time with Christ. If you're going to stay in love with Jesus, you're going to have to stay in love with His Word. If you're going to be passionate about following Christ, you're going to be, have to be passionate about your daily devotions and not allow anything to come between you and your time with the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, leaving his son in boarding school in Great Britain was the hardest thing that Reverend James Little of, of Scotland, missionary to China, ever did. But his son Eric thrived like a hare in the highlands, they say. He studied hard. He loved sports, particularly rugby. 
He joined a Bible study, attended church regularly, became a member of the Crusader Christian Union. And he began as a little boy his lifelong habit of early morning Bible reading and prayer. <coughs> Eric did it every day. No matter what was happening, no matter how he felt, no matter what else was going on, he started his day reading his Bible and praying to God. He advanced on to the university, joined the track team, won races, they say, like a thoroughbred. Every week he brought home more prizes and trophies until he ran out of storage space. His legs became a Scottish national treasure. And all the world watched as Eric Little went to the 1924 Olympics. All the while, his Christian life continued on the fast track. Because of his newfound fame, it just opened up hundreds of opportunities for him to speak for Christ and to preach. And he stayed faithful in doing all of that. At the Paris Olympics, his faith was put to the test when his chosen venue, the 100-meter race, was to be ran on what day of the week? Sunday. And he refused to do it. He said, I'm not going to run on the Lord's day. I, I refuse to run on the Lord's day. The, the world was disappointed. Instead, he entered the 400-meter run. The world watched and wondered. In his dressing room right before the race, he unfolded a, a little piece of paper that had been given to him by one of the trainers. And it read, in the old book, it says, He that honors me, I will honor. Well, Eric knew that verse well. It was 1 Samuel 2.30. And he smiled and he made up his mind that win or lose, he was going to honor God. And so he went out that day and he ran the race, not his race. He ran a 400 meter. He did it in 47.6 seconds. He won and he set a new world record. He and the Lord had honored each other. Wow. You know what? It wasn't a decision that he made just that one day. I think I'll honor God today. That was something he had done every single day. When he got up early in the morning and read his Bible and prayed. Let me tell you, if you, if you want to be a passionate follower of Jesus Christ, you're not going to do it just out in public. You're not going to say, okay, I'm really going to stand for Christ today. I'm going to be a real trooper for the Lord. Watch me go. If, let me tell you, if you try that, you're going to fizzle out and fall. Victory is won in the prayer closet. Victory is won when you get on your knees and you pray to the Lord one-on-one -on -one and you spend time with Him and you grow and mature as a believer in Jesus Christ. Then... When you are put to the test, then when you are out in public, you can stand the test because you've spent the time with the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's how you keep the passion. You guard your heart 24-7. You get time with God every day. Number three, you get together with God's people on a regular basis. The Bible says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. We tell you, if you love Jesus passionately, you're going to want to be in His house. You're even going to want to be with His people because we're a family. We're the body of Christ. We belong together. And I, I know how it is. Not everybody's as perfect as I am. You know? People rub each other the wrong way, don't they? People can get on each other's nerves, can't they? That happens in families. Sure, it's going to happen in a church. But you know what? We've got to be bigger than that. And our passion for following Jesus is going to overlook a lot of the little petty problems that we face <coughs> in home or in church.
Mm. Passionate about being with God's people. Get together with God's folks. Good, good, you know what? You know, hey, you know what? Just have a thought while I drink my water. A good time to start that practice, getting together with God's people, would be tonight at 6 o'clock when we have Bible study. Anyway, just a thought. Number four, here's how you do it. You give yourself as a living sacrifice. Romans 12, 1 and 2, Paul said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to the world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. How do you stay passionate? You give Him everything. Your body is a living sacrifice. On December 17, 1912, Bill Borden boarded a ship for China via Egypt. His missionary career would be among history's briefest, but perhaps most effective. Borden was born into an upper-class family on Chicago's Gold Coast. He was heir to a fortune in real estate and milk production. His mother became a Christian, and young Bill began attending Chicago's Moody Church with her. Soon he became a Christian himself. Shortly thereafter, when Pastor R.A. Torrey was challenging worshipers to dedicate their lives to God's service, little William, a little bitty boy, stood up. He was wearing a blue sailor suit, they say. And he just stood there in the aisle, right next to his mother in the pew while the service went on. It went on a long time, <coughs> but he never wavered. He stood there, consecrating himself to the Lord and to Christian service. Later, Bill went on to Yale University. He, he was well known as a star athlete. He was good looking. And guess what, girls? He was worth 50 million bucks. Yeah. But he was a committed Christian. At a student missions conference in Nashville, he was deeply moved when he heard Samuel's Weimer talk about the Muslims and, and wanting to reach them for Jesus Christ. And so after graduation, he announced that he was going to give his immense inheritance to the cause of world missions. He joined the China Inland Mission. He planned on evangelizing Muslims in China. But before he could do that, he had to go to Egypt for language school. The night before he left, his mother was worried about him. Has my boy done the right thing? He's giving up his fortune. He's giving up his homeland. And so she had a conversation with him. This is what Bill said. In the quiet of my room that night, worn and weary and sad, I fell asleep asking myself again and again, is it, after all, worthwhile? In the morning as I awoke, a still small voice was speaking in my heart, answering, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. A month after arriving in Egypt, Bill Borden contracted spinal meningitis. And within two weeks, he was dead. They found a final message from him on a crumbled piece of paper under his pillow. Maybe you remember hearing this. It said, no reserve, 
no retreat, no regrets. I think he had given the Lord everything. Held nothing back for himself. His story came back to America. It was published in newspaper after newspaper. There was a revival amongst young people who surrendered their lives to Christian service and missionary service for Christ because of Bill Borden. No reserve, no retreat, no regret. You know what? When you love the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, you are passionate. And you've given Him all that there is. One of my good friends in ministry is a guy named Don Guthrie. Don was older than me, but we went to Hillsdale together. He became a church planter. His first church that he started was in Hera, Oklahoma. The second church was in Plano, Texas. And the third church that Don started was in Hot Springs. He just had a gift of planting churches. All three are still successful. And it's probably been 14 years ago. We were having a, a meeting in Conway. The pastors in the state of Arkansas is our, our uh, leadership conference. Don left Hot Springs and was uh, traveling the road to Conway. He had a massive heart attack and died. I can tell you I still miss Don. Don was one of those guys that would just randomly call me or I would just randomly call him. We'd talk about nothing. but he was a friend. I will never forget when Don read this. I've since read it to you. It's not anything new, but every time I hear it, I think of Don Guthrie. I am a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. The die has been cast. I've stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed, my present makes sense, and my future is sure. I am finished and done with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, chintzy giving, and worth goals. I no longer need preeminence or prosperity, position, promotions, or popularity. I now live by presence. I lean by faith. I love by patience. I lift by prayer. And I labor by power. My pace is set. My gate is fast. My goal is heaven. My road is narrow. My way is rough. My companions few. But my guide is reliable and my mission is clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, deterred, lured away, 
turned back, diluted, or even delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of adversity, negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pull of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I must go until heaven calls, give until I drop, preach until all know, and work until he comes. And when he comes to get his own, he will have no problem recognizing me because my colors are clear. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. Are you? Heavenly Father, I pray that uh, you would speak to hearts right now as only you can. Lord Jesus, it's my sincere prayer that if there's someone in this room who's never received you as their Savior, that today they would come and invite you into their heart. Lord, give them the courage to do that. And then, dear Lord, for the rest of us who are here, who call ourselves Christians, I pray that this morning it would uh, just kind of be a gut check time for all of us. Lord, have we so allowed the world to influence us that we are now ashamed of you? We're ashamed of your name. We're ashamed to be a Christian. To the point that we're 